Relative Pitch. We are so excited to have Dr. Dunwoody Merville join us today. So Dr. Merville is the currently the Director of Trombone at Florida Memorial University, but has a newly appointed position as Assistant Professor of Trombone at Stetson University starting this fall. Con first of all, congratulations, Dr. Merville. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And just thank you so much for, for being here. We're glad we got to connect with you. Mm-hmm. We know you have so much, so much going on, and um, this is such a pleasure for us. So, like, tell tell us, especially for our audience members who maybe this is their first encounter with you, um, a little bit about yourself and your background. So, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Um, soon after I left high school, Miami Central Senior High School, um, I went to uh, Florida A and M University, where I was uh, I pursued my music education degree there. Um, I marched in the March on 100. Uh, I was on leadership and I had a chance to do many great things, um, some of which uh, March uh, halftime show with the Prince, with the Prince. So if you remember the um, halftime show back in 2007, yes, I was on that field with Prince. Oh my um, uh, I know. Uh, uh, another um, thing is I had opportunity, opportunity to uh, march in Barack Obama's first inaugural uh, a parade. So, two thousand eight, I watched the whole thing. Woke up three o'clock in the morning to go through security and oh everything. God. The whole nine, yeah. So, um, it was a pretty cool experience. So, after I finished my degree at Florida and Florida A&M University, I had a chance to go on tour with this um, music production called Drumline Live. Uh, so it's kind of based off of the movie Drumline, but what it's mainly about, it's the, it's a showcase of what's offered at HBCUs in regards to marching bands. So of course, in regards to music specifically, where you have marching band, you have jazz, you have gospel and R&B. So I had a chance to, uh, travel with the group as a feature soloist, as one of the feature soloists. And we toured, uh, Japan, maybe about two and a half weeks, we did thir 13 cities there, and we did 90 cities stateside. Um, so it was a great experience for me with that. Soon after that, I had a chance to go to Florida State University for my master's in trombone performance. Then I became a band director at MSP Godby High School in Tallahassee. Then I went back to Florida State for my doctorate uh, soon after in trombone performance. Um, Soon after I received my terminal degree, I became the low brass professor at uh, Southeastern University, um, which uh, which is in um, Lakeland, Florida. Um, and then after that, I moved down to Miami, which is, again, my hometown, uh, which I spent a couple of years here at Florida Memorial University. And as you just mentioned, I will be uh, the trombone professor at Stetson University. So that's just a little bit about about me in regards to my professional career. Oh First of all, I'm still like fangirling over Prince and Barack Obama. Like yes, I still yes. yeah. I watched both of those. Like I, I clearly remember watching both of yes. them um happening. So it's like you were there, you were live experiencing that. First of all, of the first things, Prince, rest in peace Prince. to one of the greatest musicians ever, ever, ever this earth. Like, yes. what was that experience like? 
So as we were preparing for, uh, well, if you know that the, the, the Super Bowl actually happened in Miami and mm -hmm. in Miami, it rains just because it's Tuesday. Yeah. It rains because it's, it rains. That's the, just the nature of it. So as they were preparing for it, um, no one thought it was going to rain, but then they, they checked the forecast and there were some worries about what was going to take place because you have a lot of electrical, you know, uh, instruments outside and this yeah. and that. And Prince was saying, Prince said, let's go, let's do it. So I remember it was just raining the entire time. And just being on the field and looking from my left side and just seeing him perform, I, I mean, I'm just going to say purposely, I just stopped playing. And I looked and it was like, this is actually happening. Yeah. So it, it, it was it was it was a great experience. Um one I'll never forget, one I'll definitely be able to tell my kids about, say, hey, there's this guy named Prince, you know, um, who's one of the greatest musicians. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was always a Michael Jackson fan growing up. I didn't necessarily appreciate Prince until I became a musician. Mm -hmm. And once I saw it for myself, I was like, wow, yeah, Prince is that guy. He is. He And I mean, I think I just would have been uh, just awestruck and like, oh my gosh, this man. Because I remember watching it and also you can tell your kids, look up on YouTube. Here is like, there I am right there. Uh, but he was such a, mu like a musical genius um, in his music. And so to be on that field and, and share that experience with him on that field. Right. Oh my gosh. Like I just wouldn't, the image of him with the purple guitar, like yes. that. Like, like just ingrained in my head. So I, just thinking about your image of being on the field, seeing him over yes. there, it's like crazy. Yeah, yeah. It happened. It happened. Wow. Yeah. I would have done a four count turn, five, six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not playing y'all. Watch. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then going ne the like next year, marching in President Obama's inauguration. I remember seeing that on TV. I remember literally in school, we watched it and then coming home, watching the parade and just thinking like, oh my gosh, those people are like so famous. They're marching in front of the president. Like they are like, think about, you know, all of the musicianship that went into it. But then I was thinking like, I know y'all was tired. Like that's a long route and, and the president is only there for like that little part, but you were marching a long time. Like, what was that experience? It, so first off, it was cold. Like it was probably, it, it was, I've experienced cold, but not for that much time that we were out there. Cause as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, we had to be up by 2.45 AM and the uh, parade was not slated to go until eight. And, and I'll talk about that in a second. So we were up 245, loaded the buses, and we're outside of like the area near the White House or near the, the parade route from 4 a.m. until 11 a.m. The reason why everything I pushed back, because I forgot which president it was, there was a medical emergency. I think one of the presidents who was on site or past presidents who were on site had a heart attack. So everything was pushed back like three hours and we were outside in the cold. Like, I think it was maybe between um, 17 degrees and nine degrees outside. So we were outside literally for like maybe five to six hours in the cold waiting. 
So that's all I remember. And <laughs> I remember seeing Barack Obama. I remember seeing everything. I remember, you know, the the uh, the excitement that took place. But the excitement happened after us, you know, being, you know, we had to thaw literally <laughs> being outside for six hours. So, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Oh my. Uh, to quote Anthony um, in Chicago every single year, he says the minute we hit above Tennessee in the airplane, he's like, my teeth are cold. My teeth will get cold. <laughs> <laughs> in the airplane uh, just past Tennessee. And he's like, my teeth are cold. I am a Georgia. So if he had to be out there, he would have left. He would be like, this is real fun, y'all, but I'm leaving. I'm a Georgia yeah. person. I don't do cold weather at all. I literally, born in Georgia, taught in Florida. I don't want nothing to do with the cold. So anytime Listen, it goes past that little degree mark, I'm done. I'm done. I'm with you because in Miami, anything under 65, everybody taking out oh. trench coats. Yes. Right. Anybody, we, we, we. <laughs> Yes. We're bundled up. Anything under 65, 66, you're pushing it. Right. Really pushing all right. It. Yeah. Yes. I, I And I agree. And, you know, I thought Georgia was, uh, you know, warm or and didn't get too cold. But, like, when I moved to Florida and it got to be about in the 60s, I truly had my coat on. I was like, y'all, it's so cold in here. And I, and I guess because my body got used to Florida weather. It's warm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it's crazy. But these two look at me very like I am just insane when I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. cold because yeah, yeah. truly I would have left. Yes, I would have enjoyed that experience of marching in front of President Obama, but I literally would be like, he he will understand. The President of the United States will understand. I can't do this. I respectfully, respectfully, I can't do this. I um, went oh, to, uh, I lived in Michigan for two years. And I love the cold. Mm -mm. Like there was nights where I had my window open and my fan like doing that. And so like when you said a coat at 65, I'm like, that's what my house stayed at year round in Michigan. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I was, I was I, in my little quill. I said, mm, I'm so warm. It's amazing. No. <laughs> no. So oh. what is the pep uh, preparation for, for something like that? So, you know, the music, what, what did y'all play? Um, and what was the like um, uh, rehearsals like getting up to that um, for that experience? Well, uh, part of that experience is the, the fact that prior to, we had literally, we were out for a week because um, before our, our travel up to the DMV area, we were in Atlanta uh, because they had the Honda Battle of the Bands taking yeah. place. Um, and so we were practicing, um, a couple of days before that, because typically the season ends in November, you know, the year prior. So we have, you know, the big game against our rival and then, you know, we go into Thanksgiving and then things kind of draw down. And then as we get to, uh, January, knowing the fact that we have this, you know, you know, pretty hectic schedule ahead of us. We would restart our rehearsals um, maybe like a week after this. Um, we returned back from the winter break, mm -hmm. and it was you know <laughs> a long preparation. Now we've done parades um, uh, many times before, uh, so we were mainly preparing for the um, the Honda Battle of the Bands because we mm -hmm. have you know march on the field, you know doing a drill, doing a, um, a concert selection, and a dance routine. And soon right after we finished that performance, we hopped on a bus and we drove up to uh, to the DMV area. Um, 
and it, it it was it it was long. It was a long week. Uh, but you know, again, looking back, this is back in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. fifteen years ago. Where you know, I you know, I'm a little bit more spry in my you know in my youth. Fifteen right. years later, I, I I look back at my how did how did I do that? I don't know. It's you know. Um, but again, when you're younger, you have a lot more energy and we, my parents and people who are older than me would say that. And I'm like, you're just being an old person. Now I'm on that other side. And they're like, I agree with you. I'm sorry for, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, I, I mean, I, for me, some students and even some, um, my professors here, they're like, you know, are you like what, 28, 29? I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, because (laughs) tempt. You know, um, I may have a, you know, uh, a young face, but my bones tell me otherwise, because it's a lot of mileage of with being in a marching band and traveling. Um, But it's well worth it, you know, because um, I had a chance to do the things that I love in regards to travel. And I'm still doing that now. And I want to offer that opportunity to the students who I interact with wherever Mm -hmm. I go, you know, just let them know that music can take you places. Um, I, you know, I tell my students all the time that the trombone has paid for all three of my degrees, you know, mm. um, and, and, you know, for my, my last degree my, and my last degree at Florida State, not only it paid for my ass- assistantship, but I received the fellowship through McKnight Fellowship, which is in, um, in um, Florida. So um, in essence, I got paid to get my doctorate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to to, you know, go for free, but it's another thing to have a salary on top of going to school for free, you know, uh, because I was also playing with the Tallahassee, um, Tallahassee Symphony Orchestra. I was also giving lessons. So I was pretty busy um, throughout my collegiate um, years in regards to my doctoral um, degree. And, you know, as I interact with students doing master classes, doing clinics, yes, I give them the content relating to music, but I also give them life skills. So that way they're able to hone the skills now rather than rather than letting life teach them later. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and you know, for me, being from Miami, I didn't have anything. Both of my parents are from Haiti. Um, I was born and raised in Miami. Um, and I'm the eldest of three other siblings. So it's four of us total. And we all play music. Um, Out of all of us, I'm the only one that went into music professionally. My youngest brother, who's currently at University of Miami, he's in his third year. He's in music as well, too, but he's a composition major. And um, and it's 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 uh, it's great to see, you know, how things flourished from where I was in high school till now and having a chance to give back. To, to students and to people and to colleagues who are interact with on a daily basis. Mm. That's so amazing. And I, I was really curious whenever we were researching and looking up, your, you know, the things you were doing in the past, we were like, he's that you have so much performance experience. Like we saw that you were in the Tallahassee Symphony. And I was wondering, because then you also mentioned that you taught, uh, you were a band director as well for a while as well. So how, what was your when you were going through this, because as we know, I mean, me and Anthony being still students right now, Michael, you know, being a professor, this idea that you're going in and out of like degrees, working degrees, working, trying to figure out exactly what you want to do. How was that for you? Because you're so heavily embedded in both education and performance. Well, the thing is, um, I um, I'm very first fortunate to have uh, um, 
a very effective work ethic. And I think within that work ethic, it's all about being intentional. Um, that's a word that I use all the time. You know, you can ask my students, you can ask my wife, is just being intentional. As a matter of fact, there's a saying that I've mentioned to my students that consistency breeds intentionality. Mm. So if you're consistent with what you do, that means you're intentional of doing it, of getting it done, you know? So for me, I know when I was at Florida, um, Florida A&M for my undergrad, uh, we didn't have a performance degree. We just had, only had education degrees. So I was an education degree, um, ed education major who also loved to perform. Mm. So my thing is, is that, uh, and in regards of having both degrees, both music education and music performance, I know, I know for me in my um, experiences that there is a commonality between both degrees because as a music education degree, uh, um, uh, having a music education degree, being a band director, choral director, or even orchestral director, you're teaching students to perform. Mm -hmm. As a music performance major, yeah. um, having a, a music performance degree, if you're not um, going into, um, you know, auditioning for orchestras or going into military, um, you're going to teach as a music uh, performance major. So the thing is, as for me as a trombonist, I have to realize I have this instrument. I'm going to translate what I do performance-wise to my students. I have to teach it. So I have to be not only just a great music educator, but I also have to be a music, a great music performance major, um, a great music performance uh, major as well, too. So that way I can intertwine both disciplines. So that way I can, you know, cater to my students wherever they come from. If they say, hey, I want a, music, a major in music education, I got you. If right. it's music performance, I got you. If it's business, I got you because I also have a music um, business degree, um, a degree, a music um, business um, LLC, which combines both and also um, utilizes I within the business. I have a chance to um, compose, uh, arrange and, you know, send out music to, uh, you know, directors and even other trombone professors who are interested in my um, compositions. So. Uh, again, this goes back to what you what you asked is just about just being intentional, because if you're intentional, uh, then you're going to do it on purpose. You're not going to just waste your time. And this, again, goes back to my preaching to my students. Students say they practice in a practice room for an hour. It's like, did you really practice for an hour? Because the thing is, they are in the room for an hour, whereas they may have been practicing for 15, 20 minutes when then for the other 40, 45 minutes, they have their phone in their hand. So are you really being effective? Are you really being intentional? You know, so that goes with my mantra, that goes with my practice. And that's that's kind of governed me all throughout my music um, career to where I'm able to go in and out of music education, music performance, and then, you know, combine both disciplines. Mm -hmm. You just uh, You just reminded me of something that happened literally yesterday. I listened to one of my students play and he had done, I was like, you haven't played your fundamentals in two weeks. Have you? He was like, he's like, how, how did you know? I said, what do you think this is? I do. You think I just sit here and just. Right. <laughs> we know. <laughs> like you think I just sit here with my ears turned off. Like I can tell you ain't doing your job. We know. Like, 
it's like my job to train my ears every week to get better for y'all. It's your job to take all the information. And while you're a four-year student, it's your longest degree. I try to tell some of my performance majors that. I'm like, trust me, it is your longest degree. You can go from four years to four semesters. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, to a lot of people, you're done for your education for life. Yeah. With a master's. Some people don't get, get that terminal degree. So I'm like, y'all, you have four years to bust out the hardest work or to create these habits that will live with you for the rest of your life. So if you don't take advantage of these, what's going to happen? But you like when you were like, you said something, it just reminded me of that. And like sometimes students like really just don't do it and they don't be in the room. And I wasn't in the room sometimes when I was an undergrad. But during my master's, I was fortunate that it was. I was fortunate it was COVID, also unfortunate. But during COVID, everything's online. We had no right. ensembles. So I got to bust out hours on hours a day. Mm -hmm. because nothing else was happening. Nothing else was happening, you're right. You're and right. so I'm like, y'all, use this time. But yes, you yeah. just remind me of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what uh, something that I resonated with was intention because all of my students, that, that is just the word that I use the most. And especially with conducting, um, when I'm teaching students to be, you have to be intentional because yeah. if you do an act and especially what we do as musicians without intent, then what, what makes you different from an uh, MP3, especially as a performer, what makes you different from a MIDI file? There's no intention behind it. So what what is our validation in what we're doing? And right. conducting, if there's no intent behind it, who are you inspiring? Same right. thing with teaching. If I am not intending to do something with a good purpose, then what my job, it, we're not doing anything. And right. especially, and that goes for education in general. And I think that we have gotten away from that in our society is that we no longer have intention anymore. Um, because you see how our what we're putting our focus on is not something that I think might sustain us, and it's because we've lost that value of okay, let's make sure that our purpose is correct, let's make sure we are truly intending our students to be productive people. And I think by you saying this to your students, it's going to trickle down that effect of like, all right, we need to make sure that we have a purpose that right. we know what to do. And I love that you are instilling that in your students and wherever you go. And they have a great uh, representation that, that okay, you can do it, so, so can I. So can you talk about that representation um, of just saying, look, I did it. And that means you can too. Sometimes that makes the most difference. No, it, it, it does. And um, one of the good things of me being back in Miami, um, uh, the past couple of years is that most, if not all of the students know which high school I went to. And the, the high school I went to is inner city, uh, inner city title one school. Um, for me, you know, growing up again, as I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't grow up in anything. Um, I didn't have any lessons until I reached college, you right. know? So everything I had to kind of learn, I had to solve for X on my own, you know? Um, and with the fact that uh, I mentioned to the students, I, I typically come to cl um, class, come to school, you know, dressed up, you know, shirt, tie and everything. And I tell the students, as I listen, 
you just all you see now is just a byproduct of where I came from, because what it is, is that when I growing up, I didn't have anybody who looked like me mm. to to do the things that I'm doing. And I didn't have that example. I didn't have a Dr. Johnson or a doctor, whoever, or someone to come back to the schools and say, hey, this is what a trombone can do. This is what you can do in regards to having a career in music. So I remember right before I went to Florida State for my master's um, that I made a vow. I was like, I'm going to give back, you know, because for me, I'm that type of person. And I believe that you it's it's almost it's like you do receive more by giving than receiving. For me, at the core, my wife, I tell my wife this all the time and she knows this. It's like there's three things that make up who I am. Um, uh, consistency, empathy, and communication. Mm -hmm. I think with those three things there, you know, you can't, it's almost like you can't have one without the other. If you're consistent, then people know who you are because they know that, hey, if there's someone, like, for example, if someone comes, if someone says, hey, uh, Dr. Marvel, you know, he did this. Not to say I'm a perfect person, but it was like, no, I don't believe it because he's very consistent doing X, Y, and Z, you know? Me, in regards of being, um, showing empathy and being empathetic, I put myself in other people's shoes, not with my mindset, but with their mindset. Because if I put myself in their shoes with my mindset, I would say, well, I would, if I were you, I would have done this. Now that says I, you know, no, empathetic is that means I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'm trying to put myself in your mindset saying, you know what? I understand where you're coming from, you know, and I empathize with you. That governs me as a human being, as a as a musician, as a teacher, as a father, as a husband. I try to put myself in other people's shoes. And in regards of being um, communicative, like just um, being communic uh, communicating with others, again, if there's a breach of communication, now there's going to be lines for uh uh, for conf conf confusion, you know, and for things not being clear. So, uh, again, it's just those three things and just understanding the fact that where I came from and where I'm going, that there's still more to give and just to ensure that the, the, the ones who are coming across, I come across on a daily basis, again, whether if it's, you know, students or colleagues uh, I just try to show those three things, empathy, consistency, and communication. Um, and again, as I mentioned, the students, they know where I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. And there's not too many people out that would say this, that I was taught, I had a good, you know, I had a solid family system. So I was taught by my parents. I was also taught by the streets. And when I say I was taught by the streets, it's because of the fact of the, the high school I went to, Miami Central Senior High School. Once you step outside of the high school, you have gangs, you have gang oriented, like literally in every territory of the school, you know, and most of the students, most of my, you know, the people who are older than me and um, um, my colleagues, you know, they were in other activities and I saw their grind. I didn't engage in those activities, but what did I what I did pick up was their grind. Amen. And because of their grind and those activities, like, you know what, let me use this grind and put it towards something constructive, which birthed, you know, everything that I'm doing now because I'm grinding just as the person who would be, you know, in the streets. But it's just that I'm putting it towards something that's constructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I love the duality of that where you're like, you know, at family, you know, you had you had that foundation. But, you know, when you when you go to school, especially in the inner city, because that's what I did. I, I went into an inner city school in Macon, Georgia, um, where, yes, there was gangs all over things. But what I something that I just had was I can see let me let me just watch let me see what they're doing and let me see how I can take this and use this in my own way all the good things that can yes. come from that yes. um, and I think it makes it makes you have an advantage and especially as a teacher because now you can see it and, and empathize with students who usually in this music world we cast out students who don't come from I'll just say who comes from the streets, right. the, music, the music world, especially music education, usually say that, oh, those kids, they don't want to do band or they don't want to do choir. They don't want to do orchestra. That's not true. They was just never get given the option to. Yeah. So let's now that we have this kind of this experience, we are the ones who can go into these places and say, uh-uh, you can do it. And this is how you can do it. And now here, let's bridge that gap and here's that path to do it. And so um, I think that it is very, very, uh, um, uh, probably very beneficial that you had that experience growing up so that you can inspire new people to do follow your path that way. Yeah, you got you, you have to speak their language. And, and yeah. what I mean by speaking their language is that, let's say, hey, bro. Like for me, I could just like, like, hey man, yeah. hey bro, yeah. hey fam, real quick. Like, don't let the shirt and tie fool you. And they be like, oh snap, Doctor Marvel is real. Like, no, like you just let them know. It's like, listen, I I know what you're doing. Yes, I've seen this. You know, let me put you to the game. Let me let you know that hey, you can make it out. Let me know that I'm letting you know that you can do it because I was you. <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, is that I, I tell my I tell students all the time, if I can make it, you know, not having anything, I know with the resources and with social media, everything that the students are are exposed to now, they can use that grind and put it towards something, you know, that's uh, that's not only profitable but something that will put them amongst the the greats, you know, that's beyond their their uh you know uh you know, friends that are in the same age group, you know, um, it's, it's just that you have to apply it. You have to apply, you have to be consistent. And, and once, as I mentioned, but when you're being consistent, people know that you're being authentic. People know that you're being real. People know that you have intent to do better because there's consistency, you know? Um, so yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the idea. We were, I don't know what conversation we were having last week um, about like the, what sympathy versus empathy and like mm -hmm. why that's, it, it's important of a distinct, of a distinguished distinction to make when you're talking right. about this. Cause sympathy is like, you can have sympathy for anyone, right? You can be like, oh, I feel bad for you. Right. Yeah. Without having to like yourself see from that person's perspective. But empathy is this idea of literally stepping into this person's shoes and then thinking also from that perspective and i i love that because i feel like too often 
we have this conversation a lot with these, you know, during the pandemic, we saw this boom of initiatives and things that are centered around DEI and all that pop out. But unfortunately, what we saw, at least what I saw, was this idea that it was more initiatives based on sympathy rather than this idea of empathy and more like equity, if mm. that makes sense. So instead of basically there are a lot of these programs were like, this is what we think you need, because this is what we would want if we were in your shoes without actually understanding what these communities, these these groups of people would actually need. You know, that's the difference between the sympathy and the empathy. And that's something that working at the symphony now and getting to see these programs and also watching what other symphonies are doing around the country, their, you know, type of the type of community engagement that they're trying to do. I have always many thoughts <laughs> on the way they're doing, especially when it's not successful. I immediately see why it's not successful, you know, and um, as you know, as a you're you've been a teacher throughout this and but you've all you're also a symphony musician so you're seeing so many different aspects of what these the the rights and the wrongs you know of these programs and these initiatives are you know are happening and i wanted to know like what what are your thoughts on that boom that happened during covid oh well i well first off i appreciate the uh, uh initiative that um uh not only symphonies, but schools of higher learning are taking on, on this approach. Um, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. Um, I believe most are being authentic in their approach, while there are some that are performative mm -hmm. in their approach. And what I mean by performative is essentially just to, just to it's a trend. Mm -hmm. it's a trend it's like oh everyone's doing this let's let's go ahead and do it so that way we are part of what everyone's doing and it, it and, and it goes back with what you just mentioned about sympathy and, and empathy you know it's like oh you know the sympathetic aspect of it it's like wait everyone's doing it uh let's let's go ahead and hop on the train so that way we're not left behind mm -hmm. and we don't seem as x y and z Whereas the few are who are taking the empathetic approach are not only taking the initiative, but going deeper. You know, um, this it, it kind of goes with uh, with what you mentioned, um, saying that. Uh, well, how, how I look at empathy versus sympathy, sympathy versus empathy, it's almost like, let's say we have uh, a mother or mother to be who's about to have a child. Right. She's nine months and she's ready to go. Let's say her doctor is a man. Mm -hmm. He can sympathize with her pain. Mm -hmm. He can sympathize, sympathize with her pain because he has done X amount of, you know, uh, you know, deliveries and so on and so forth. Whereas empathy is if that same uh, mother to be had a woman, a woman who who had a child, who has experienced it herself, mm -hmm. and she's saying, "I know what you're going through." Mm -hmm. Not I can imagine. Not I can imagine. That's sympathy, but I know what you're going through because I've been there. I know what it takes, and I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna take care of you. And again, it's nothing against. The man, the, the 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 male doctor, 
It's just that one has experience. To make this applicable to what we're talking about, you know, there are cases, and this is unfortunate in um and and um in this uh particular uh um happenstance to where either symphonies or universities where they talk about DEI, there's no diversity Ooh. within that group. Yeah. There's no diversity. So how can you say, let's talk about DEI when there's no one within that committee that's different from you? Speak. This, this, it's really hard to do that because again, it goes back to us, go back to us saying, well, you know what? I think this is what they're feeling. Exactly. I think this is what, you know, again, going with that, I put myself in your shoes. That doesn't work. No, like you need someone in that no, you need someone who's qualified. Let me go ahead and just make that because you don't want to just put right. anybody in there. Right. I get that. Right. But you need someone who's qualified to where it's like now you have a voice. Mm. Now you have a face. Now, granted, that one or two people within a committee of 10 would be the minority, but that minority voice would be a great impact because they lived that DEI, you know? Mm. So in, in regards to... uh and my, and my hope is that with, you know, with the initiatives that's taking place with DEI is not what I just mentioned, initiative. It shouldn't be an initiative. It should be a lifestyle. Yeah. It should be something that, okay, well, let's focus on DEI. No, that should be consistent because by being consistent, that means you're being intentional. <laughs> you know, you're being, yeah, you see, so how about that? Yeah, you're being intentional about, about this whole thing, you know, because- if we're not careful, and that's kind of the thing that's what's taking place in Florida right now with, you know, governor, and that's, I won't go too much into politics, but they're trying to shut down DEI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're trying to shut down DEI, and and that's, it's trying to happen in public schools, you know. Um, before we called DEI, DEI, it was called affirmative action back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty much the same thing, you know, but I, th I think, you know, because affirmative action just kind of just died off and the word may and the term terminology may seem, you know, somewhat offensive to some people. Affirmative action, you know, it may it may seem like it's very direct and this yeah. and that, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion sounds more friendly, you know, friendlier than affirmative affirmative action. It's the mm -hmm. same thing, you know, and my fear is that just as affirmative action was a thing and kind of died off, my hope is that DEI does not experience the same demise, mm. you know, because DEI, if we want to be real, came and came back because of what took place in 2020 with all. OK, OK, yeah, yeah you see, yeah. And it took something of that magnitude. Yes. It's like, all right, let's go ahead and bring it back and let's focus on it. Okay. And because of the fact in time, time is unforgiving. And what I mean by time is unforgiving is that as time continues to pass, people tend to forget the, what happened yesteryear, what happened yesterday and this and that. And what happens because of that, there's, you know, you have some people say, well, that never happened. Or they'll say, well, you know, that let's leave that in the past. Well, how can we learn? How can we affect the future if we don't learn from the past? Mm. If you don't learn your history, it will repeat itself. Right. And that's and that's what's taking place with politics. There are some politicians, unfortunately, are trying to erase the past. 
saying mm-hmm. that well, this never happened and and by trying to remove it from from um history books that's why i love tiktok because tiktok i mean students now can learn so much from tiktok because people are keeping it real i'm the one i'm you know i'm uh was it uh i for me i i guess i would be classified as a millennial you know for um realistically i'm like the generation right at the cusp between um was it um generation y uh-huh. and gen x and and um millennial yeah. i'm like right at the cusp right there because i remember the time when we had no phone right we only had a landline i remember the time when there was no computer or computer was not in every household i remember dial up when aol you pressed it and, you know, we just sat there and just waited for maybe a couple of minutes before things kind of picked up. Yeah. So because of me watching the, the maturation of having not to having, it makes me have a better appreciation for what the things that I have, you know. And again, that relates to DEI. Like for me, when people when I apply for institutions here and there and they talk about DEI, of course, I give them the answer, but I also want to mention that I am DEI. You know, who I am, my life is, you know, I don't want you to put three letters behind what my life, what I do every day in my life, you know? And it's it, it shouldn't, I mean, yes, I understand that it should be studied. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by studied is because of the fact that people are not uh, privy to what's taking place. Again, it's the whole empathetic aspect. So, I think what DEI is, is to help people who are not informed mm-hmm. to be informed mm-hmm. because it's nothing new. It's right. just now being studied. Mm-hmm. And it's to, to two points you had, uh, we're going to go back a little bit. Yeah. I said for the very beginning, when we started this podcast, I said, I will truly measure every DEI statement in 2026. Because mm. yes. that's, period of time like that's four years you can go through two degrees yep or one degree a little extra like you will you will pass some time and that's where you can really set in okay what's going to happen are they still doing these policies or do they matriculate out the second thing dei has two reactions to people either oh, they okay. feel, either they feel attacked aka you should probably look into this Right. Or they feel like, oh, that's not me. You should also probably look into this. Right. If you feel like it's overtly not you or it is also attacking you, you might be part of the problem in two different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you if you feel like you you're you're doing it 100 percent all the time, like what DEI, I see no color. Oh. Times have we heard that statement? I mean, I've, I've heard, I've heard that statement, and that's like this, like, like so. That's the person, and then the other person is just like, um, I feel attacked, and I was like, okay, well, why? You should be actually, and <laughs> or I feel forced, or I feel forced to do this. You know, mm-hmm. why should I do this when you know I have you know friends who are you know people oh, of color. You know, and it's like, okay, okay. It's like, you have a right. congratulations. Like, I'm right. Stop. I am but so yeah. glad you can count your black friends on one hand. I am right. so happy for right. you. 
because that that is what that statement is saying to me is yeah, yeah. that the the friends that you have that of color they are now a, a quantity for you to use in an argument rather than you you seeing them as people and empathizing with them because what 2020 should have shown you is oh wow i need to actually ask my friends of color about certain things and make sure that i am right so that when i go out into the world i am not continuing the, the, this just atrocity of right. racism uh, and every other ism there is right but most people are like no i have that one black friend but we we never talk about race you know i don't see color then you don't have a black friend. You don't really oh. do because you're not seeing that friend for who no. they are. Because what you would see is we are not the same. Unfortunately, we are truly not. You lived one way and I lived another way. And just by based on the color of our skin, I can promise you we did not live the same life. It's not monolithic. It's not it everyone does not have the same experience. It and is. For the person who says that, hey, I have a friend or friends that are a person of color, again, that's performative. Now you just check the box. Yes, right. you do. You say, yes. hey, I, let me look at my list. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's like, nah, you know. Mm -hmm. And I also think that sometimes um, these institutions and places, when they ask about DEI, they really want to boil everything down into kind of a monolithic thing. Like they want uh to i guess comprehend all of this they want it in a nice answer um i remember we talked a little while ago that some institutions they'll ask um about a dei and they want you to do this whole presentation so that they can take your information and then put and then move it on and say oh look what we've done no it's like they want a solid answer so that they could check off like oh i can actually fall asleep at night no Mm -mm. And they can throw it on a website to be like, look at what our students feel in our environment. And, and the right. thing is not monolithic. And guess what? It is very complex. And yeah. not every uh, person of color lived the same life and right. also have went through the same things. So no, it is not an easy answer and it is not an easy solution. That That is the hard part that I, I don't think these institutions have truly realized is that there is no one answer for this equation right well this is this goes back to um what you were saying dr Merville. this idea of dei not as an initiative but as a lifestyle because what happened was affirmative action was not thought of as a lifestyle it was thought of as a program something and this is what this i remember i will never forget reading this girl who I think she went to Harvard or whatever, and she was called like black, black at Harvard, whatever, and literally had one of her classmates look at her and like, you're here because of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. A white classmate look at her in her face and say, you are only here because of affirmative action. Because what that told me and what when we're having this conversation, it made me really think that when we do adapt these ideas of affirmative action DEI as more of a thing, it's always it's something that someone can place blame on, and it reminds me of Anthony. You even mentioned there was a, I, it was way back when 
there was a class that happened and a student was speaking about like not getting placed. And do you remember that, Michael? Not getting placed in this ensemble. And I think the person who did get placed in it was a black person, I believe. Yep. And they were just speaking to it as if like, oh, well, they didn't belong. I actually deserve to be there, but it's, you know, because of DEI and all these initiatives that are mm. happening. And it's something now, this tangible, instead of it being a, it existing, instead of us just including diversity, equity, inclusion within the, the landscape, within the hierarchies, instead what's happening is it is now this thing that people can place blame on when they don't get what they want, when right. they need someone to point fingers at. And so it's, it's in a way, what this, this program, this initiative that is supposed to be helpful to these communities who are underserved, underrepresented are now becoming things that even sometimes people who are supposed to be in those communities who are getting that, uh, getting help from those initiatives are now cringing back from it because of the the energy and the connotations surrounding and people being scared. I'm, I'm scared they only think I'm here because of DEI. I'm scared that I don't actually belong here because of this. And it's it's it can be so harmful when it's not done mm-hmm. intentionally. I- I, I am a hundred percent in agreement with you. When I uh, when I was uh, you know going to school for my um, my master's and doctorate, I was outside of the jazz program. I was the only person in in those ensembles in the orchestra. Same thing with the orchestra I play with right now. I'm the only uh, person of color with tenure, mm. wow. and the only male person of color in the group. Wow. In the entire group, you know, the thing is, um, even (laughs) even um, in my years, I've left Tallahassee about five years ago after I finished my my um, terminal degree. And since moving down to Lakeland, which is about three hours, three and a half hours from Tallahassee and now moving down to Miami, which is about six and a half hours, um, I still play with the orchestra. And there's a couple of reasons why I play with the orchestra. I love playing. That's one. And two is that representation. You know, I try to hold on as much as I can because of the fact that, you know, we do have school shows and most of the school shows that we have are people who are people of color. And I want them to see, say, hey, (laughs) there's someone on stage who has the same skin color as me, you know, Um, and it's 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 powerful, you know. And it's not to say anybody with, you know, with a different skin color doesn't matter. It's just the fact that we have to be proud of ourselves as well, too. It's been so long that um, because of society, because of what takes place um, over the past 200, 400 years, that it was made to look that we have to be ashamed because of our skin color, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and as as time progressed, yes, things have gotten better. And and with what's been taking place over the past, you know, four or five years, it's almost like we take one step forward, two steps back, you know. Um, but it's like uh, I, I feel as if that, you know, with all the progress that we're making and I think progress, meaning that what's taking place as a society, like, you know, technology and and everyone going for, you know, like going to school and doing their thing and going for their masters and some going for their doctorate. I think there's progress in that. But I think because of that progress, they think that all encompassing, we're pro- we're progress we're we're, we're, pro- we're um this progression, um with the divide. In other words, it's almost like if we don't talk about it, it will go away. 
And that's not true. You know, it's like it's almost like sweeping dirt under a rug when someone's coming over to the house. The person who's coming over, they see that it's clean, but you know that it's dirty. Right. It's still dirty, you know, and we're just doing it for show. We're doing it for again for performative. It's performative aspects of um and um and when we do things out of you know just by performative and just just for show, then again, there's no intentionality behind it. We're only doing it because someone asks us about it, or um, you know, someone who may come to the school and say, Hey, look, we have this student here, hey, we have this program that emphasizes, you know, our minorities. And it's like that's great that you're putting some attention to it. But as 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 you mentioned, let's see what happens in 2026. You know, if this is still a thing in 2026, you know, and that should not only tell, you know, the people of color one thing that should also tell you, whoever the, the institution, if it's institutional orchestra, if you're being intentional about what, what it is, because again, it's not a it's not an event. It's a lifestyle. It should be something that we should do because as human beings, we're, we're all the same. We all came from the same Africa. We all came from the same. I don't want to go too deep, but we all came from the same, you know, but the thing is, as time continued and because of differences, like we should embrace differences. Like when I see someone different, I'm like, I want to know more about you, you know, because I want to not only learn more about you and your background, but I want to diversify my learning. I want to diversify my palate, you know, not only as a teacher, not only as a musician, but as a human being, Mm. because the whole purpose of being human beings is that we have to be human. Right, right. It's, I mean, we could, I could be here for another three hours. It's it's (laughs) so much. Yes. It's so much amazing information and context and just uh, you have a wonderful perspective on so many things. And um, we I mean, we truly thank you for being here and having your time here. I know our audiences will benefit so much and have benefited so much from hearing what you have had to say and just knowing more about you. If people are interested in knowing more about you or even maybe sending you an email or something, how can they how can they get in touch with you? Yes. So uh, I'm, I'm connected in the socials. But before I even go there, my email is dmervil at gmail.com. So my first initial D, Mervil, M-I-R-V-I-L, at gmail. Um, I have a website, uh, dmervil music. So D, again, first initial last name, music.com. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. Pretty much the same thing, dmervil underscore music. Same thing with uh, uh, TikTok. Um, and I, you know, I love to to interact with people, whether if it's by music, whether if it's by conversation. And I look at music and conversation as the same thing because music is a conversation. Um, and I try to connect either by by word or by sound. And um, and it's, it's not just about music for me. It's about life. So I, I love to help people to get to their goals. Um, I have this thing to where I like to see people succeed. That's a lost art nowadays. Cause right. you know, we have people hating on each other and this and that's like, no, I want to see you succeed. What can I do to help you to get to that next level? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want any credit <laughs> because it's not who I am. It's like, we were put on this earth to help, uh, help others. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And now you are a part of our village and we are very happy to have you as a part of the Relative Pitch Village. Um, and thank you again just for being here and to our audiences. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, make sure to go, you know, check out Dr. Merville and everything that he's going to be doing amazing, amazing things. And we'll see y'all next week. Yeah. Bye. All right. Appreciate it.